I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this edition of our 2016 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. Today's program, debating the progress, practicality, and potential of autonomous vehicles and ag, is once again being brought to you by Farmer's Edge. As always, I encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you have another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And remember, subscribing will allow you to get an alert about future episodes when they're released in this series. Thanks again to Farmer's Edge, proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers through innovative technology and field-centric tools. Their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at farmersedgeusa.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. Precision farming brings to mind a lot of futuristic concepts, some of which have become a reality, including egg drones hovering over growing crops and sensing technology precisely controlling fertilizer application. But one innovation still developing is autonomous equipment. The idea of a driverless tractor patrolling a farmer's field is an appealing idea to some, while at the same time terrifying for others. Within agriculture and commercially, Strides have been made in recent years to refine reliable autonomous technology, though it remains to be seen when these machines will be part of the mainstream. Still, the topic is ripe for debate, and I recently had the opportunity to moderate a discussion among nine Precision Dealer members of the Independent Precision Ag Alliance at its most recent meeting in Gary, South Dakota. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast brought to you by Farmer's Edge, We share conversation highlights of the Precision Peer Group's outlook and expectations for autonomous machinery and agriculture. Sitting here with the Independent Precision Ag Alliance and wanting to have a discussion this afternoon on the reality or potential of autonomy in ag and what can we expect in the future and where are we in the present with this topic? So the first question I had was just thinking about where we are today in agriculture with this concept and looking at kind of the consumer market. How do we see any application or transition of what's out there coming in the market to where that might actually play out in agriculture? And if the group has some thoughts on what expectations are for autonomous vehicles or autonomy in general in Mm -hmm. agriculture. The workforce, that's one of the biggest problems you hear a lot of growers talk about is they don't have enough good qualified people and trying to find those and compete with the wages that other businesses are paying. Um, If you eliminate 
couple people and have have some type of autonomy. I, I really think that could could be huge for agriculture. I talked to Mike Upfield several times the last month. One of his dreams, no, no, I'm even talking about it, is like a robot planter. He has some venture capital lined up. If I understood what he was saying, that you know we'd be working 24 hours a day, talk about 100% simulation. You know, pretty excited about it. You never know where where that might go. Yeah, I, I certainly don't agree that all the widgets have been invented in Decision Bank. It's the big widgets. And this would be a pretty big widget. I think there's a lot of this that's going to be driven by major manufacturers. Because when you start to think about the liability and the insurance side of what has to happen to have autonomy like that, the bigger manufacturers are going to have the resources and things behind them to be able to take on that insurance piece and be able to satisfy it. Where Small, a lot of the smaller aftermarket precision ag developers may not have enough resources and things to be able to take on that piece and be able to satisfy it to a point where it's affordable. So I, I think you're going to see the major manufacturers are going to be the ones that are going to drive it more certainly.
and you just have a couple planters that are out there that are maybe one or two rows and they drive back and can reload themselves with the seed and the proper seed and then you just pick the whole station up and haul them to the next field. And I think we might see that before bigger equipment. But and we are really a lot closer to that than we think because there was a new competition. I think it's a new competition for college students called mm -hmm. the Bot Challenge 2016. Yep. Their goal was to plant without a without an operator. And University of Regina was the winner this year. So we've reached the point where it's going to happen. And I think I think we are thinking both big and small because what what Kinsey has done and you know, big standard equipment is kind of the vision a lot of us have. But in reality the small stuff is easier to develop and bring to the market. Probably a lot cheaper. And that's going to be scalable. Something that starts out small, you can hit all markets, all demographics of size of operations. So whether it's a, a 300 acre producer or a 30,000 acre producer, it's not going to matter. They just have more. And I think you will see that it will drive the major manufacturers to be able to, to start smaller machines because the way we are now uh, there's not a whole lot bigger we can get unless they then be able to move things around in a timely manner and in a safe way. We've almost reached the pinnacle of what we can do as far as moving machinery. So I think you will see it will make it will, it will drive them to, to build smaller machines. Isn't an intermediary step having a two or three tractors in the field? You got one very skilled operator, and the other three combines or tractors or whatever are very low, uh, unskilled labor. You know, I mean, they can stop the tractor, but everything else is pretty well done automatically, and it kind of takes care of a little bit of the liability thing. I think I heard Gary Wagner from Kirkston talking about this, but that's. The machine is pretty well run automatically, but the guy is in there in case everything goes south. That would be a... And then don't you think we, we're all farm background and we love beef, right? So we, when we think autonomous, we think of this big thing out there. We don't want to go back to a little paint factory again, but probably that's reality. Well, Japan sprays with UAVs. UAVs that are pretty good size. You know, I mean. we, we have tractors that already can turn on themselves, re-engage on the next pass, lift and lower uh, equipment. Um, now with the market going towards row finding capabilities and having something we can easily rely on, that in an autonomous sense is going to be one more thing that's going to keep us from crop damage, which is what you think about when you think autonomous take out that user error, um, the level of money that we, we reach is probably only limited by two things, our imagination and the level of risk we're willing to assume. Now, in an autonomous sense, if that machine has failure, or even something so simple as gets stuck out of the field, you're still going to have to have an operator level come in and fix it. If it has plug runs of fertilizer or product, we're never going to be able to get to an instance where 
thing and go on vacation, turn the machines, and you'll come back and get the best. So, kind of as in your role as dealers, I mean, how do you kind of see yourselves fitting into this? piece of the puzzle, you know, if this becomes a reality, you know, whether it's the smaller tractors, I mean, is that something a non-equipment dealer then carries because they're smaller pieces of equipment and easily transferable, or is that something you think the OEM still kind of largely will handle? And again, that's kind of just a forward-thinking question, but does that create more opportunity, or is that create more trouble, I guess, for, for a dealer, you know, as far as if you're going to be maybe selling this equipment or are you going to be servicing it to a certain extent? Um, I think it's going to be similar to the aftermarket today, you know, whether it be the, the ag leader, the precision planning of the world that we've known over the last few years, it's going to start as an aftermarket side of things just because how quick that venture capitalist money and or innovation companies on the technology side are going to bring something to the table. I think we're going to see it hit an aftermarket side first before the large green, red OEM type companies will be able to adopt and adjust their business scheme to handle something like that and develop their own. Just simply so won't get locked up in R&D for three years before the public sees it. As soon as there's a working solution, it's going to hit the field, it's going to be built, it's going to be called I see slow sampling emissions as one of the very first entities. A small vehicle that has preloaded coordinates, whether it's zone or grids, to go out and set samples, and now if we expand the control here, if I have five of those loaded onto a flatbed trailer, and I can drop them off, and then reverse my route, we'll pick them all back up, I just sample five fields in this time. Light footprint doesn't require anybody else out there to them. Should definitely speed up that process. I think that's a good point. I have a really hard time envisioning how we can do this with a combine, with a harvesting, particularly corn and beans, but on some of these other operations, smaller operations, I should say smaller, but maybe more simplified operations, it would be much easier to do. So I saw spraying. So we agree, agree that there's still going to be breakdowns, rocks, floods, whatever. You still have to have one operator in charge of all those autonomous units. Is your labor going to decrease or is it going to shift to someone who has a different skill set that can handle getting the autonomous vehicles better? I think it's going to be less, more qualified people with higher skill sets is what it's going to take. I think opportunities for our business is one to sell them. If it's the smaller ones, if it's the large ones, it's going to be to the iron dealers. Um, but I think more importantly, it's going to be setting up the patterns and the paths and some of the programs in repair, programming in repair. 
there's always a role for the smaller service providers or independent service providers, whether they're attached to a, a larger concern or tech support or whatever other services in the town's action owner or product is going to have. There's always room in the market for, as you said, aftermarket talent, whether it's service, whether it's sales, whether it's training, whether it's using the information that those autonomous machines might be collecting. I think when we get into autonomy, there's going to be a lot more role for sensors, and therefore we're going to have a lot more data, and so there's going to be a lot more opportunity for analysis and for plot work and learning from whatever sensors might be out in an autonomous vehicle at any time. Like Bruce said, we're a lot closer than maybe we even realize. Like I alluded to, the machines that can already turn around themselves, raise and lower equipment. You know, we think about precision planning. A V drive meter can auto and jam itself. There's no reason with sensor suites on board that a combine that hits a giant kosher dash blocks up a slip clutch can't auto reverse its head it's on its own and just keep going. Again, that sensor suite there can know if there's a problem to how to fix it would have to be developed. Green movement is going to be the biggest task because you have to deal with autonomous. autonomous. Yeah. That's a huge factor. Yeah, so that's a lot of pre planning involved there where we've got growers who are very progressive and they've got pre planning guidance lines for the traffic with grain carts on From a guidance line right next to a combine guidance line so they can unload on the go and get the dead center of that grain cart every time. That's a lot more pre planning involved. So if you start spitting out prescriptions for seed and fertilizer, pretty soon you're going to have an opportunity to perform a prescription for autonomous grain. So I think there's always going to be a fit for us to just be very yeah, flexible. Yeah. Well, how high is the John Deere grain cart? Do you call that? I mean, that's been on the market for a year, hasn't it? No, it just takes over control once you're close to the combine. McKinsey's cart is autonomous. Oh. Where the truck driver just leaves a cart sit at the edge of the field, the cart and tractor, and then from your app in the combine you can call the cart to come to you. You can then hit a button when you're ready to unload, it'll pull up right beside you, you unload, then you tell it to go back to home go back to home and sit there and wait on the semi-truck operator to come and unload it. And that I did see. I went to one of their field days like three years ago now, probably, to see him demonstrate that. And that was really, I mean, it was pretty fascinating. But haven't heard much lately about no. it, you know. Not, yeah, well, I think it's a lower priority, but yeah. Three years ago, you saw it. It's about three years ago, yeah. One of the things that I found most interesting about that whole project was they went outside of agriculture to mm -hmm. other companies, sensor companies, to develop the technology. And we, myself, a lot of times I think, well, if you're not familiar with agriculture, you don't understand what we've got to do or how it's got to be done. They accomplished something using outside sources. And I would imagine a lot of those sensors are a lot cheaper than what we think they probably are. A lot of stuff in the medical field gets used. Mm -hmm. well, I, 
router UAV now has an auto only feature if it loses signal. There's no reason why we can't tell it where to go. Pre programs like that are just attacking. Said Mars One there how many years ago? If yeah. I can tell it where to go when I got there, it was pre programmed where it needed to go. So. Yeah. so we think it's law Partially, or is it ag's not ready yet? Are the growers ready to accept this? Did, did, did some of the big iron companies know that we're not ready yet, and if we bring it to market now, it's going to fail because it's too early? I've also seen some discussion on the farm to table movement. They want to see you, the farmer, and
districts because we have automated weed removal systems or we have you know an automated process where robotic so I think it'll be an issue of it'll be a marketing issue on Ag Spark to put the to put the right story in front of the public. Back to why haven't we adopted this it's been out for three years or hasn't been more reception to it down during the economy is gonna be going for so much. But at the same time if we're talking an average full size combine here in the Midwest most outfitted with these crops being approaching three quarters of a million dollars. That's for something that requires a user's input and a lot of actual physical human labor hours into it. Um, we start talking autonomous versions of this, we're going to be that much higher into that price range with no support from the inputs that's here. Um, and at the same time, insurance costs I'm going to trust for how am I going to get covered to have a million dollar piece of machinery potentially fail um, and cause damage. A lot of these farms are in urban developments as well, or approaching urban developments, and if it goes off into the field out in the middle of I-80, um, that's a big risk. And there will be failures, everything does fail, especially at the beginning. Probably one mitigated risk that hasn't been able to be overcome yet. I was going to say, Tim, I wonder if then maybe not, just as much as public acceptance or farmer acceptance, grower acceptance is, there's probably not a need for it yet. Certainly not an economical. It can't, it can't be afforded at this point. Maybe no, that's ties into the small scale thing. Smaller scale will not be feared as much. Right. It'll be a it'll be a rather slow adoption rate, but once the small stuff begins to take hold, people see the value in it. It'll weigh some of those fears from the bigger stuff too. Mm -hmm. Correct. And now we're going to as much on a bunch of runaway soil samplers as I am combine. Or scouters. You could have a autonomous field scout yes. that goes out and just kind of walks around and gathers soil samples or tissue tests or has some type of sensors on board that can sense what's going on, take pictures, geo-reference them. We'll get back to the discussion in a moment, but I did want to again thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for making this program possible. Farmer's Edge is proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. 
Well, reflecting on the conversation so far, it's interesting to hear the different takes on who dealers anticipate will ultimately be the driving force for autonomous vehicles in agriculture. While smaller companies may be able to maneuver and specialize more quickly to develop autonomous technology, will the large manufacturers be better equipped to finance and market the systems? This remains to be seen, but group members suggested that autonomous products may start as scalable aftermarket systems, possibly in the form of miniature planters or sprayers performing field operations in a more timely and potentially safer manner. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from the Independent Precision Ag Alliance with their take on what impact the introduction of autonomous vehicles could have on the current farm equipment production model. You, I mean, you talk a lot about kind of the equipment perspective here, um, but uh, you know, if and when things kind of move this way, w wouldn't that constitute a pretty major shakeup, you know, for kind of the OEM model now? And you know, that's that's got to obviously take some time too for that trend. Or is that an additional piece they offer along with the larger equipment? Or is that something that gets phased in? I want the, I want the reverse of when tractors came. You know, can you imagine what kind of shift that was? And, you know, can you imagine how many people got mocked for buying a tractor? And horses, we always use horses. What about cabs? Yeah. The first cabs were not made by the manufacturer. It was year-round cabs, Hineker cabs. You know, it's like... They were horrible. Yeah, they were horrible, but people were buying them left and right and putting them on the tractors because the operator wanted to stay warm. Or, well, no, you didn't stay didn't cool. Stay cool. <laughs> Couldn't hear much. Yeah. So, so they got adopted by the equipment manufacturers. But why did why did there have to be an aftermarket company come in and put the cattle? Because that's where most innovation is, isn't that? So, so to me, I'm, I'm going to, even though I know there's prototypes from the OEMs, I still think the first ones are going to be from a small company. And, and I think they might be ready when they're forced to it. Yes. But I don't know that the big OEMs are going to be the first ones on the market with the Deers had a tractor that I've seen video of it spraying an orchard 10 years ago. I think it's. I think we need to look overseas to see it first. Because I think uh, the Europeans will probably adopt it, or maybe not adopt it, but have it available before we will here. How fast the brain cars have been able to uh, adjust to making these machines do what they're intended to do with the human control, taking out all that possibility of air following crops, and not even just real crops, especially crops, uh, all that stuff. So that sensor suite is already there, and it's more or less in the programming side and fine-tuning just to make it work whatever level you're looking for. Put a right card on the front end of an uh, agronomist four-wheeler right now and make sure he never runs over a road. And the autonomy side alleviates a lot of potential crop damage and errors that way. 
point of liability was mentioned as you know possibly a, a hang up right now and that probably ties in with the safety element too um do you do you think you know from a from a dealer standpoint is that something that is going to be a concern you know is that going to be um you know from a, a training and education standpoint i mean obviously large machinery you know has the same you know safety and uh quality standards but you know if you're talking about something where somebody's not going to be behind the wheel and you're selling this to a customer you know is, is there going to be you know some level of uh, you know potential hesitancy and, and what kind of learning curve do you think there's going to be you know for for any anybody in this room that might someday be selling something like that Some new scenario that'll come along, and you know, then we realize 
necessarily need to build a safety valve for this scenario. Um, and I don't care what it is we sell, somebody will try to use it for some intention that it was not designed for, and the risk of accidents increase at that point in time. And while the, while the occurrence of it has gone down drastically because we continue to design better PTO shafts, there's still somebody doesn't maintain it or it does something stupid and gets caught in it. So we've been doing that for how many years? So the same thing will happen here. We have evolution that um, we, 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 it'll never be foolproof, no matter what it is. That's one topic we maybe have already missed here. You just alluded to the original design was pure. Agriculture standpoint, we did borrow UAV technology from a lot of from the military. And our sole intent was for crop scouting. There are levels because they are so readily available before regulations were in place that the opportunity for malicious intent is there. And so, if I have the ability to remote steer a combine on the interstate for malicious intent, that would have to be something that would be severely addressed so I can see the potential that. Gear and all these companies have worked on this for so long. It was a soft release like they have. It eventually picks up momentum, and then one bad instance brings out a whole new shape of reform, just like all the FAA regulations on UAVs, and then that puts a big bind in that whole process and forces these companies to spend even more dollars when they may have been strapped just to. We actually had all these horror stories about liability from unmanned accidents. We have the same risks now with a man sitting in the, a person sitting in the truck. You could fall asleep without steer. The difference is right now, this farm that's liable. I mean, so it's a shifting of liability. And yeah, a soft release or something on the liability it would make me a step to, to get through this. I've been sued three times, so I know there's all kinds of people that love to sue. And there's, you know, we have that problem in America way more than anybody else. Uh, forget what the, we have like 10 times more lawyers, or 100 times more lawyers per capita than anybody else in the world. <laughs> That's probably at the heart of the problem. But I think it's a shame, but I think we're going to see autonomy in vehicles, which I'm much more scared of, <laughs> before we see it on the farm. And I mean, something can happen like that in the vehicle, even if it's even if it's the it goes into failsafe mode and it stops. Well, the one behind it might hit you. Recognize the fact there was a track trail pulled across the river in front of him. He didn't recognize it was the white side of the trail. Yeah. Really? There was a set. There was a scenario right there. Mm -hmm.
Georgia. Yeah. Right. For that area. I just told my wife a month ago, so we got the car and said, can't, you know, can't we foresee when most cars will be self-driven? And it will be, it will be safer. It's hard for us to connect the dots right now, but remember the 4010 came out and had the first non-mechanical steering, hydraulic? Well, I bet that took some trust, didn't it? Oh, yeah. I remember my dad and neighbor talking about, what if the engine dies, don't be able to steer it. And yes, you can, but, you know, that was a tractor, not a car. I don't think a lot of people realize that. So general consensus, if there is one among the group, are you generally excited at this technology advancing, skeptical, nervous? Is it inevitable? <laughs> yeah, all the way I think, you know, we're a group of precision people, so we, we saw the value in getting out on the front edge to begin with. This is just another evolution, and, and it, it's in our genetic makeup to try to stay on the front edge. So I see it. Yeah, I mean, that'd be capital limitations probably uh, for some, not for others, but from a technology standpoint, Oh, yeah. I'm extremely excited about it and very disappointed that I haven't seen it yet. Um, and I hope that I see it within my career, but I'm doubtful. Thank you to members of the Independent Precision Ag Alliance for sharing your thoughts and insights on the potential of autonomous technology. Those listeners who would like to get more information on the discussion and learn more about the group, please visit www.precisionfarmingdealer.com podcasts. And once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast series on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. So a big takeaway for me sitting in on the discussion was that each dealer at the table, iron independent, co-op, and consulting business, had their own perspective on what value autonomous technology could provide. Until systems are commercially released, though, sold and used on farms, it's difficult to benchmark benefits. And until that time comes, there will continue to be a mix of optimism and caution among dealers. Well, again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for helping make this Precision Farming Dealer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program. Feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And you can also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page.
Well, I hope you'll join us again on September 1st for the next episode in our 2016 podcast series, Adding Agronomic Service to Your Precision Business, where Devin Dubois will share his tips and techniques for building an agronomic business to complement equipment sales. For the Independent Precision Ag Alliance, Farmer's Edge and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Simlicka. Thanks for listening.